Welcome to the Teacher's Podcast, in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life-work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. Hi everyone and thanks for listening. In this episode, I interviewed Aaron Stevens, one of the product managers at Classroom Secrets. The role sits in the newly created innovations team, whose job it is to, well, innovate. Prior to joining us at Classroom Secrets, Aaron joined the Teach First programme as his route into teaching. It's a really intensive programme, and I thought it would be good to look at this from a life-work balance angle, and how new teachers and students cope with the workload. Aaron shared some useful strategies and experiences with us all, so I hope you can take something from it. This is a bonus episode on the Teachers Podcast, and I'm doing these bonus episodes to raise awareness of my Life Work Balance campaign, so let me tell you a little bit about it. I'm really passionate about a countrywide approach to wellbeing and Life Work Balance in education, and therefore, I'm running a campaign to get 20,000 survey responses from teachers about their Life Work Balance. Notice which way around we've worded it. Life is more important, you know. At the moment, we've collected 10,600. That's 800 more since the last episode was released. I really need your help. Please fill in the survey at classroomsecrets.co.uk forward slash LWB and get all your colleagues to do the same. So you might be thinking that 20,000 responses is a hell of a lot of responses, and it is. So why do I need so many? Well, I want it to have an impact. When the government does a survey like this, they generally survey about 400 teachers and miraculously, they get results that the teaching population in general is scratching their heads about and no can't be right. This is about getting a true snapshot that can't be ignored and then taking it to government. We've already met with our local MP about it and we'll be meeting with another MP in education soon. So please, before you listen any further, take out 15 minutes to complete our survey. In the long run, it will help you and everyone in education. Anyway, let's get to Aaron's interview. So Aaron, thank you so much for joining me on the Teachers Podcast today. No problem, thank you for having me. Um, It's been a very long commute for you walking downstairs, (laughs) but you actually did come from Hull today, didn't you? Near enough Hull, yeah. It's a good... 40 miles, but it's worth it to come to the podcast yeah. and uh, tell my story. Okay, well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you're so positive yeah. about it. And um, so just a bit of backstory then. Um, so Aaron actually works with us at Classroom Secrets. Um, you've recently been promoted as well. Um, so congratulations <laughs> on that one. And um, you're on the podcast today to talk to us about Teach First. And we do have a life-work balance element to that. So we are going to be delving into what it means from a life-work balance point of view to be doing Teach First. So hopefully I haven't given it away, but do you want to tell me everything? So why you wanted to be a teacher, how you got into it, you know, how you ended up here, Yeah, where your whole life story. Um, so initially at university, I, I, I studied law. So that was where I saw myself heading, mm-hmm. so, 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 sort of going. I can see that, um, I can see that. And I think it instilled sort of a passion of, of hard working in me and uh, that grafter in me. Um, but it it wasn't for me sat in an office uh, 24-7, um, just 
sat on the phone, sat in front of a computer. I wanted something a bit different. So Teach First came along, it was advertised on social media as most things are these days. Uh, that's where it was marketed to me. Looked further into it, um, really liked the sound of it. It was an employment-based route into teaching. So I could get paid while I was learning on the job. Uh, and to me, it was a no-brainer um, compared to the other training routes out there. I felt um, I was strong enough physically and, and mentally to, to take on that challenge mm. um, rather than a skit or the traditional PGCE mm. route. Mm-hmm. Um, so with Teach First, it basically parachutes um, top performing graduates into schools. So you don't get to select your school mm. uh, as, a, as a trainee. They have a selection of schools which they place you in. And those schools are based on, um, it's a portfolio of schools, which is based on a formula of deprivation. So mm. as a trainee teacher, you'll be placed in a school, let me get these facts right, with the pupils where over half of them are living with within the 30% poorest families. Mm. So these are challenging schools from the outset. Yeah. Um, so that's why they look for the top performing graduates. And at the time, and I think it still is, Teach First was one of the uh, most popular and top graduate employer. So it made sense for me to, yeah. to take that route. Yeah, okay. So just a, a few questions then. So did you do any work experience when you were doing your law? degree yeah I actually did a couple of weeks work experience at a local school Mm. and I also was a TA for a short time Mm -hmm. now for me those two experiences really helped me inform my decision of my training route because I think it gives you an idea and an expectation of what you're going to experience Mm. when you're training and thereafter if for instance you're traditionally going down the PGCE route you may have not had any work experience before you even set foot in a school. The last time you could have set foot in a school was when you was at school yourself. Yeah, possibly. So, I think we do ask for some kind of experience. Some child-related experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. With, I think not necessarily in education, but... Just on the university, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, those experiences were invaluable in just giving me an expectation of what I had to prepare myself for because I went in with a mindset of knowing, yes, this is going to be tricky. I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen what it can do to teachers if you're not prepared. Mm. And for some on the teach first route, maybe they didn't have as much exposure or experience as I did yeah. and weren't as fully prepared, which is possibly why some do struggle more than others. But that could go across any training route. Yeah, this is it. I mean, so when you... but. When you actually went to university to do law, were you planning on what what was your end goal? I'd always based my studies, whether it was choosing options at GCSE, A-levels, and then university, just what I enjoyed. Yeah, um, me too. And, you know, you're not and see, forced see to... see where the opportunity would take, yeah. Yeah, you're not mm-hmm. forced to say, this is what I want to do at seven years old, I'm going to follow this path. If you know that, great, go yeah. for it. But, you know your professional career choices and your personal life choices all dictate and all pull at different points of your life to try and sort of guide you down a path. And things change as well, don't they? Um, Do you feel feel like the careers that you could have gone into from that all kind of had the same workload? (laughs) Doesn't everything nowadays. I mean, I was listening on the radio the other day. Yeah, no. (laughs) Te- te- some are definitely more than others in terms yeah. of volume of workload and pressure. Mm. Um, but I was listening the other day um, 
and it was a, quite a poignant insight into technology and what it's mm. what it's done for businesses and and just society as a whole is that it was designed to help us mm. and and speed us up but if you're the only one with technology you're the one with the advantage so mm. if you're working with technology your company your organization has the advantage but if everybody has technology you're all working at the same pace which is so everyone's just working faster super harder, fast yeah so you're doing more work yeah at a faster rate and because of technology is embedded in so many businesses workplaces yeah. and schools it's very similar across all the board yeah, yeah. from from my experiences of, of, of work um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. It, it could have gone down the more commercial side of things mm. and there's, you know, sales targets, et cetera, client targets. Yeah. Um, but wherever I would be, I'd, I'd hope to be a high achiever and I would, I'd, I'd work yeah. for that anyway. So, yeah. So do you think with Teach First, obviously they take the top graduates, um, although I have heard, I did hear yesterday that actually I think they've changed that now. Um, I think they might have changed the entry criteria, um, but I'd have to, I'd have to check, yeah. but I think it might be 2-2 now. But do you think do you think you went in with the mindset of um, yeah I can I, I can do this obviously you could but do you think do you think it's different to um, sometimes people would go into teaching and a, a teacher who's currently teaching would not tell them not to but maybe warn them uh, you know but it might not be what you think whereas that that person would be like yes but I'm really organised mm. so I can do it yeah do you think. I think- no matter how organised and up for a challenge you are, mm. still nothing can prepare you for what yeah. to expect in a classroom full of 30 kids and all the unknown variables that can go on in that day. And yeah. throughout when I was a teaching assistant and when I was on work experience, teachers were saying, you do know this is going to be hard, don't you? You yeah. do know this. And it doesn't really slow down, does it? No, it's, you know, you you're hit the ground running first day, mm. as soon as you parachute into that school, and then you're hitting the ground running forever on because there's so much to learn. Mm. Schools are busy places, fast moving, and so much change happens so mm. often that I think you're always playing catch up. Yeah. And that's where technology, again, it, it either help, helps us or hinders us. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, so when you, obviously you've talked about taking the next opportunity based on what you liked. When you went into teaching, did you think that you would be staying in it or did you just know that it was for a time? That's a good question. Because um, I feel like I knew it was for a time. I went into it, but I didn't think I would be in it forever. Right. And how come you just, just because of skills or? Um, because. Sorry, I'm asking you the question. No, it's now. fine. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I get a chance to talk. <laughs> um, no, just because I don't. I, when I went into do a PGCE, I did it because I didn't know what else to do. And I was like, oh, the funding, the performing arts PGCEs. It happened that I actually liked it, but even then, I just knew that it wouldn't be forever. I think mm. I knew a lot about workload because my mum was a teacher, and I just thought, well, you can't do that forever. Yeah, and I think from from my perspective, it was I enjoyed school when I was there as a kid, mm. and I think sort of part of the romantic in me was thinking it's still going to be the same yeah. teaching, yeah, but it's a completely different side to it, it when is, once yeah. you're in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I suppose it was the, the challenge aspect and that variety in the type of work you were doing. You're not always sat down um, behind mm. a desk. You, you're up on your feet. You get a chance to to integrate and interact with lots of different people throughout yeah. the day. But 
that comes with its own vices and that it's so exhausting at the yeah. same time to be able yeah. to do that and manage that. I actually um, mentioned this on the podcast that I did a few days ago, but um, I read somewhere that the reason, one of the reasons why teachers go home so exhausted is because they've, um, because they've made so many decisions in one day um, and it's actually the decision-making process that is really tiring. So it's not necessarily the physical side because it's not that physical, is it? Yeah, you have to be up and down, but it's not like lugging heavy boxes mm. around. But it's all the decisions you have to make in quick succession. I think I must have read the same one because it said you make more decisions in X amount of time yes. than a brain surgeon does. Yes, So yes. we should get paid. Yeah, absolutely. Same as a brain surgeon. Yeah, well, obviously. Oh, well, <laughs> that's good. I'm obviously innovative then if you're reading that. Um, oh, yeah. So did you, did you think that you would be in it long term or...? Did you not um, really consider that? I don't think I considered it either way. Mm. But if opportunities came along while I was there, then yeah, I'd, I'd see where it takes me. I'm, I'm quite a fluid individual in that, in that sense. Yeah, I like yeah. to know what opportunities are there. Open, open to something different. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Do you feel that because you did the Teach First, obviously it's um, quite an elite and renowned programme, do you feel like it prepared you better? Um. That, for me personally, I couldn't see how much more I would have got from doing the traditional route rather than, as opposed to the, the crash course, the Summer Institute mm. that Teach First provide over the six weeks before you dropped into a school. Mm. Um, so they do all they can over six weeks to develop your pedagogy, your national curriculum knowledge, your subject mm -hmm. knowledge, and you're also introduced to your school in that time. So you can already build those links and I'm not sure how it works in a traditional route, but that initial link, that initial contact with the school was priceless for me because yeah. I got to meet my in-school mentor mm. very early on, yeah. seeing how he taught for two weeks mm. before I even, you know, two months later until I was there. Yeah. I got to build those relationships with the new head, the new principal, all the staff there. Mm. And I already knew that my mentor mm. was not only going to be a professional mentor but he was going to be quite a personal one as well because yeah, yeah. he, he, he turned out to be a very good friend of mine and we had a lot of similar interests mm. and I think it's important to have those dialogues with people in your schools mm. to find out what interests they have and how they can help you mm. not just professionally but personally as well and we had the same hobby and mm. it was great and we just you know we kept each other going whether it was in the morning or late in the afternoon or weekend um, but I'm, I'm sure we'll come more onto the mentors um, and, and support that mm -hmm. Teach First offer. Yeah, okay. Um, how did you feel about your life-work balance? So you, you, you've, you kind of do, so you do a couple of weeks in school, I'm assuming like it's just after you've finished your degree. Then you've got six weeks in the summer holidays when really you would need a break. Then you're straight into it um, and you're teaching, what is it, 80% timetable? You start on 60% and I think you work your way up to 80%. So then it sort of mirrors the uh, NQT year and it prepares you for that. But as so it's part basically of... your first year of teaching and then, you know, a few weeks in you're mirroring the NQT year. Like, what? how is it? And you're unqualified. <laughs> and you're unqualified, your yeah, first yeah. Year. But, I mean, on top of that, the reason it's 60% is, yes, you're inexperienced, but also you've got your essays in there as well. Yeah. Um, so those essays would be very nicely timed over your half-term holidays. Yeah. So you'd be flat out running September and then sort of your first late October half term comes around mm. oh, I've got an essay to do I haven't got time to breathe mm. so 
you know, you, you're playing sort of the, the game of, do I need to do a bit of work beforehand while I'm still teaching mm. to have a half term or do I just leave it all to the half term and not have a half term? And um, what did so you do? you're always balancing and, and spinning the plates to try and balance your work life, your life work balance, yeah, I want yeah. to call yeah, it yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I took <laughs> the wrong way probably first in that I would try and do too much early on while I was teaching. So I yeah. would try and chip away yeah little by little a couple of days a week while i was still teaching mm. and then i thought i might still get some half term yeah. got a little bit of half term but the teaching part the teaching element um suffered because i was yeah sort of burning the candle at both ends yeah yeah trying to get the essays done um so it came around to the first book inspection and <laughs> so already you think oh no i've, I've a bit yeah, met yeah. the policies and everything the first time um and it turns out, you know, two, three, four pieces of work, maybe in one book, could be more in others, I'm not sure. Yeah. But I was pulled up on that. Yeah. And the principal was very well aware of why, mm. very understanding why. And it, I think it took that process to ultimately come out the end of it with mm. a plan of how we can best approach you Each, getting through yeah. Yeah. these essays, as well as teaching, Yeah. which is intense. I mean, it's just, can you imagine like doing that? I just can't imagine doing that. <laughs> It feels like a dream, to be honest. Yeah. Maybe a nightmare, but it, 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 it feels like it wasn't me at the moment. Yeah. Because it was... Because you it, have no time to, to recuperate, really. Or reflect on it. Yeah, you no. just you get them done, you send it off, and you don't really... Mm. I don't want to say care about it, but you don't want to think about it anymore. You don't have yeah. time or the space in your brain to think about, well, I, I wrote that, this and this, and it's impacted my teaching in this, this and this way. Yeah. There's just not the time... To, to reflect. To reflect. Yeah, and I feel like I understand that more now because in in my job now I need to be really reflective, but I don't have time to think often. Mm. And sometimes you just need to like go for a walk or something and not have just constant. Yeah. And it's that technology thing, isn't it? The information is just constantly at you all the time. I remember someone. I think it was my mentor, the one I've got a good bond with, and he said, "There's always more things to do mm. than there is time to do them." Yeah. So you're always going to be playing catch up. Mm. So you have to not necessarily, if you think you're drowning in workload and you haven't got much of a life work balance, it's not about just dropping the work because that's going to cause you more problems. Mm. It might think in the short term, yeah, if I don't do that, then I'm going to have this time here. Yeah. But it's going to cause you problems and probably yeah, is, more yeah. work down the line. Yeah. It's not about working harder to get it done. It's about working smarter and coming up with strategies for you and tools you can use to get it done faster to get it done more efficiently yeah still good quality or what's needed to get the job done mm. and i think coming from a law background i was very much a bit of a perfectionist yeah i wanted to have things perfect and yeah and on on the line ready to go but you can't be like that and you quickly learn that don't you think it's hard though to know so good is good enough but what is good enough I think that's um, a learning process as well with each school. And it's different, yeah, different in every school. And you think, oh, is this is good enough. And then SLT will go, no, it's not. Well, why is it not? Because you haven't used five pens. Yeah. yeah it, and that's stupid. Or my planning wasn't aligned and sent off at the same time and in a bank ready to be checked. That was one thing that really frustrated me. Right. Um, that I had to have my planning done by a particular time on a, on a Sunday in, in this folder that could be checked. Right, um, right. And... I'm sure there'll be a lot of people out there thinking, what on earth is, is that rule? Yeah, yeah. But 
it was something that was normal. That it was seen as natural. That, yeah. And I think because it was had to be there on a Sunday, ready to be checked for the following week, I spent Sunday, it was treated as a work from home day. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're working yeah. seven days a week pretty much anyway, but Sunday was a, I'm sorry, I can't go anywhere. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. working from home, I've got to get this done and put in the folder. And I think what what is um, quite alarming about that when I, you're talking about that now and I think back, I used to dread, like we had family parties often um, at that time of year, um, in that time when I was um, teaching because the, ch- the children across the family were young. So you'd have to go to their family parties. And I think, please don't be a family party on a Sunday. When am I going to get my work done? Yeah. It's, yeah. It, and I think as as you grow as a, as a person and, and time moves on, your, your work and your personal life, they're all going to be pulling at you at mm. different times and in varying strengths. Mm. And for the strategies that you have in place, you have to be flexible in terms of your life-work balance. Because if you're not, those strings are going to pull you apart yeah you're not going to get anything talk me through then what a typical week looked like for you as in at what okay, stage let's so did it improve then so you you were there for your um, unqualified year then you did an nqt year so they're the two years you would teach first and then the third year you were an rqt so you work with teach first anymore but you're still teaching That's right. so, so did it improve my life work balance did improve. Were you in the same year group? I was in mixed year three, four um, to begin with in the first two years. And then it was just a solid uh, single form year three. Right. But I think my issue was at the schools I worked with, they were all single form entry. Uh, so I'd never had anybody to share planning with. Yeah. And I seemed to have joined at the points where there was redeveloping the curriculum. Yes. So did I. <laughs> so it's a case of... Where they delete everything off the server so you're not allowed to use it. I never saw what was there before. So. No, I didn't. <laughs> but that's what I heard. They were like, oh yeah, they've deleted everything. And it's very much, we want you to go down this route. This is what we want you to plan out. Yeah. And you've got to reteach yourself all these things before yeah. you can even plan them and deliver them yeah. yourself. So that's another bit of time. So again, there's, yeah. there's more things to do than there is time to do it. Yeah. And it's about working smarter. So um, I'm sure we'll come on to strategies, but... You've got to be flexible in your strategies as well. There's, there's so no routine, I'm afraid, for me. What strategies did you use? Strategies for me was the very first thing was when I joined as an unqualified teacher was having that expectation that this is going to be hard. Going yeah. in with the mentality that it's not going to be easy. If I treat it as it's going to be easier, I can just work until three o'clock, mm. clock off and then go wherever. Yeah. That wasn't going to happen. I would be mm. severely disappointed. I, ex- yeah. I expected to work until five, half five, right. turn up at eight, yeah. probably in the morning to set the books out. Because that's what I saw, that's what I knew when I was a teaching yeah, assistant yeah. and on work yeah. experience. Um, but you when you don't see the bit where they go home at five, half five, yeah. have tea, two hours more work, marking or planning. Yes, you don't see That's that. not the bit you see. So one of the other main strategies I had was setting myself a cut off. I know it's, it sounds very simple, but with just setting a cutoff is having self-discipline to say, mm. that's my cutoff. I'm sorry, I've worked till eight. Mm. I've done X amount of hours today. I've done X amount of hours this week and last week. Yeah. If it's not going to get done, it's not probably not, well, probably not worth doing mm. because it's not being on top of my priority list. Yeah. I think what's important to say about that as well, because had you said that to me as a teacher, I would have been like, well, that, that's not possible. I, I need to do X, Y and Z. 
but now I feel like I've done a lot more uh, reading around and, and I've learned a lot more about myself and uh, managing my very different workload now. Um, and I think it's it's not just about saying, oh, I cut off at this time. It's about knowing what has to be done by that point. So I get up at five and I have till half six to work. So I try and think the day before, like, what must I have done in that time? But if I left it and came into the office where people are talking to me and things, it might take me three hours to do something that could take half an hour. So I think if you give yourself a specific time that has to be done by, you will work to that. We work within the time we have to do it, if you see what I mean. If you said, oh, your deadline is two weeks, it'll take two weeks. But if your deadline is two days, it'll take two days. And the thing is, with schools, they work so fast, they want things very quickly. They do, yeah. And it was often emails on Sunday, Sunday afternoon, work from home day, that you get things, oh, I need this by Monday, I need this by Tuesday. Yeah. So that's why Sunday was a dedicated work from home day to get those things yeah. done because there wasn't the time in the day yeah. working until 8pm at night on a weekday to get I, it done. I often think as well, because I know that there's a lot of talk on um, social media really, like should you, you know, SLT shouldn't send emails out of work time. I personally don't agree with that because I think you have to do what's right for you. So there might be, I don't know, there might not be... SLT but there might be a teacher out there maybe, maybe they're an NQT maybe they've got a young child and they're up at three o'clock in the morning and if something they need to get that off their mind then they should be allowed to send that email but there should be a rule that there's no notifications mm. on and that there's no expectation to answer until you know you're in working time yeah. but the point is is that often there is an expectation for you to answer and the reason why they're sending those emails on a Sunday saying they need it for Tuesday is because they're so overworked that they haven't thought of it until the last minute and then they pass it on to you. Yeah, it's such a, it's just a this self-fulfilling prophecy of yeah. negativity and rushed and rushed work of, of high workloads. It's yeah. It's I think it's a broken system at the moment, but when you look at some of the statistics out there, they're frightening. Yeah. You couple with two-thirds, I just read the other day, two-thirds of teachers... Um, feel constantly or often overworked. Mm. A third of those surveyed um, said that they work over 51 hours mm. all the time every week. That's a lot of hours. It's a lot of and hours, but I actually think you it's marry more. You marry those, yeah, as a minimum, 51 mm. hours. And you yeah. marry those statistics up with those that are leaving the profession. Mm. It's quite frankly criminal, Yeah, the amount of people that are leaving because of workload. So did you did you find yourself doing work every weekday night? Most weekdays I would be working either at school until late. Hmm. Um, I got kicked out by the caretaker at half past six. So mm -hmm. I tried to make sure as much could be done yeah. as possible book-wise yeah. before half past six because that meant I had some sort of divide yeah. between my school life at the books Hmm. and my home life and if I did have to take books home I'd have a separate place to do my planning to do my marking hmm. which was away from my private life so definitely have in the bedroom yeah definitely have them in the kitchen or living room yeah it was a separate place because that was my space that was where I could relax yeah, yeah. and I felt if school life encroached on that then I'd have nowhere to go uh, yeah yeah no I get that <laughs> I wish I had an office at home <laughs> Um, yeah, it's 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 so difficult though how you kind of get through. So tricky, right? Okay, um, 
so what support did you have in place then so when you were an unqualified teacher and then when you were an NQT? So Teach First uh, sort of operate on a three-pronged approach mm. to developing you and supporting you throughout those two years. Um, you're assigned an LDO which back in my day when I did the program was a leadership development officer. Okay. I think they're now known as uh, participant development leads but they are essentially your point of contact, mm -hmm. your go-to person at Teach First who can who, they've built the connection with the school um, and if you're too afraid to ask for something at school or there's, there's an issue which you're not confident enough to bring up an air with the school, you go to them and they'll be the middle person. So if they're a leadership development officer, is the idea that when you go in on a Teach First programme that you'll be fast-tracked? Into a leader, an LDO? Uh, into a leadership role in school? Oh, yes. Yeah. So the skills you learn as, as part of the LDO the Teach First program is you learn a lot of leadership skills as well. Mm -hmm. So um, you, the aim is, yeah, as, as you progress, you're equipped with the skills to move into middle management okay. and then senior leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's the hope anyway. But that LDO initially, uh, when you enter schools, is your safety net, if you like. Right. Um, they're going to catch you if you fall. Mm -hmm. And they're the, they're the bridge between you and the school, mm -hmm. um, especially as in your first year. Did you have any support? To, so obviously you've said that you found your own strategies for coping. Did you get taught any strategies for coping? So another way they supported you um, was they'd have contact days, um, mm. which were on a weekend, on a Saturday. So oh, great. that was my day off, which <laughs> yeah. now I was on a contact day so or a conference day where the whole co cohort came together yeah. and they would deliver subject knowledge courses or sessions on pedagogy or sessions on life-work balance. Um, which is really good. So it was either a session which you could participate in hmm. as a form of life-work balance to do something different or you know, to get you interested yeah, yeah. in the hobby, salsa yeah, dancing. Yeah. Um, I did try it and quite enjoyed it. <laughs> good, good. Um, <laughs> or they'd have a session where they would sort of try and teach you a strategy or give you a tool you can use hmm. and then make it your own and then apply it to your own life to try and help you it develop better. a life-work balance. So yeah. your LDO was your first one. Mm -hmm. uh, your second one was your mentor in school. Yeah. Um, so your LDO and your mentor, uh, they would come together termly quite often, discuss your progress, mm -hmm. uh, set you smart targets, which I found very effective. And you could, again, that was a meeting between the three of you mm -hmm. and it was a very open dialogue and you could mm -hmm. voice any concerns there and their experience was invaluable in terms of trying to guide you down the right path and, mm. and sort issues out for you. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and the third one was um, the tutors at university. So you'd, to get your PGCE, you'd also spend time with tutors doing your essays. Right, um, okay. So there's that experience and that support there as well. Uh, but in my experience, most participants would lean on the mentor or the LDO. Okay, okay. I, I'm pleased to hear that they did, they did consider that life-work balance was important to learn about because um, I'm not really sure as I certainly didn't learn anything like that on my PGC. I think now they've uh, introduced an online wellbeing course which wasn't around when I was there. As, as to its effectiveness I'm not mm -hmm. sure um, but anything out there that can help you guide you to something to gain a bit of life-work balance yeah, must yeah. be good but again you've got to spend time to watch it 
to invest in it and then to get something out of it. So I think the message I would give is in order to get time back, you've got to invest time. Yes. So that's either spending time writing down a a plan of when you're going to mark books and when you're going to have time off. Mm. Or is it a time of this is my hobby, this is when I'm going to do it, this is when I'm going to stop working and I will be there at that hobby. You do have to plan, and you have to give over that time. Definitely, you do. Um, okay. Do you feel that the support ran through into your RQT, or were you kind of dropped then? So, so I've, on a, the unqualified year, you had those those three faces helping you all the way. Um, and your second year, as I say, I didn't really lean too much on my on my university lecturer um, or my LDO at that point because my mentor was so good and effective, mm-hmm. I thought anyway, in helping me. It might not have been the same for somebody else, mm-hmm. but for someone in my shoes, with helping me come up with strategies in the way I worked, they helped me. Yeah. Um, so they were there as options, but I didn't really use them. And then they almost, I'd like to say disappear, but that's not true in your RQT year, because you, you're then known as an ambassador of Teach First mm. after the two years. Um, so you're officially not a tie to an LDO or a, a PDL as they are now, but they're still there, mm. so you can still contact them, and I'm sure they would still come in and help deliver training or help support you in any way they can. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the biggest support networks is the masses and masses of other participants mm. that have gone through the process. Mm. And there's loads of social media groups, and you know some groups do meet, uh, occasionally at the local pub and things yeah, and they yeah. they talk about their experiences and that's healthy yeah, talking yeah. about their experiences sharing the ideas to get it out there <laughs> just getting it out there to a, to yeah. ears you can trust yeah, who yeah it's not going to yeah. go back to and say so and so said this i think you need to have a word yeah yeah some people don't feel honest and open to have a and confident enough to have a, a, a dialogue in school mm. with those in slt positions because no. they fear it's going to yeah. come back and bite them in some way and yeah. I think when I was in IQT and I was trying to develop new areas of learning and parts of the curriculum mm. and you think I've got so much on I, I'm a bit fearful of saying no yeah yeah <laughs> how do you say no to a head teacher that's putting trust in you to do these things yeah and yeah. you know they want them done and, and, and I guess you in want that to position, challenge yourself as well as well you know you've you've come from teach first and it's kind of like yeah but we're doing this to, it's all for you you know, this is, we're doing you a favour here. Yeah. We are doing you a favour to develop you here. And you kind of think, oh, well, how can I, how can I say no to this? Well, it's very difficult. Um, okay. So, I'm just looking at all the questions that you've already answered. Um, okay. So, NQTs, they tend to fall into a trap, don't they, of putting 110% in and then burning out quickly. So from your personal experience, what advice or tips would you give to other teachers who are thinking about maybe applying for Teach First? I think the biggest one, not just Teach First, not if you're just applying for Teach First, but any teacher route is get experience, mm. go out there and see what being a teacher is all about. Mm. Ask them questions. Don't just turn up at nine o'clock and then go home at three, half past three. Turn up early. Go home late when the teacher goes home late. See if you can sit in on meetings. Ask them what they do at home. Ask them how many hours they work. 
get as much information Find and out. as good of a feel as possible as you can for the profession. Mm. Because if you want to commit yourself to that profession, that's what you will be experiencing yeah. and be under no illusion that it'd be <laughs> far different to what they're yes. experiencing there. Yeah. And that information gathering is, is a good way of preparing you for a, a mindset of, mm. yes, it's going to be hard. I'm aware it's going to involve X, Y, and Z, mm. but I've already got X, Y, and Z in place to deal with those. Yeah. So you can already start coming up with some strategies to help you based on what you've seen and based on your experiences. So work experience to build a mindset, I would say is crucial, but also invest in, I, I can't specify enough how invest in time to make time yeah. is, yeah, is, to come is, up is with so plans important. And, and things. Yeah, I think um, it's, it is important to really understand what, what you're going into. And as much as I don't advocate, you know, all these teachers leaving the profession they're doing it for a reason and I also think it's okay to say I've had people ask me before if they should go, go into teaching and I never tell them no but I do them tell I do tell them my experience and I say to them if you want to do it try it but don't beat yourself up if it's not your long-term thing it's okay if you only do it for five years and then that moves you on to something else that's okay um, and obviously we do want teachers to stay in the profession, but also the job that is now can't really be done by many people long term. Mm. So you kind of have to have a way somewhere. And that's not just an opinion. That's not just somebody saying something. That's someone no. who's worked in the profession from their experience, but it's backed up by so many statistics. Yeah. There's something inherently wrong with the system yeah. and change needs to happen. Mm. I mean, I've we've discussed with amongst other teachers that can there not be set hours in contracts? Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the worry is so much of teaching is based on goodwill. Yeah. Nothing will get done. There'll Nothing will no, get done. no assessment. But then if you base it on 37, 38 hours a week, you can really see what can be done yeah. in those time, in that time frame, and how much won't be done. Yeah. And that is your measure of, well, this is what people are doing on the side in their own time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've been to other countries and talked to teachers. Um, so I was in Serbia last year and um, one of the extended family members as a teacher. And just talking to her, trying to understand how on earth they managed to not work at home. She was really surprised when I when I told her about it. But I felt like the questions I was asking her, she was she couldn't give me the kind of answers that I was expecting to get because she was so confused why I was asking. Mm. It's, she didn't. She did. She couldn't put together why on earth that I would need to know <laughs> all these questions um, because she just doesn't do it. And, and I said, "Well, do you ever work at home?" She said, "Oh yes." And I said, "All oh, right." I'm thinking this is normal. And she's like, "Yes, once a term, I bring the papers home to grade, and I do and I do it on a Friday night." So what's like, their secret? What what can we? Okay then. We and I was like, "Well, what hours do you work?" And literally, she works like half seven in the morning because they only do like half day school to half one um, in the afternoon, or she would do half one in the afternoon to seven at night, and it's like on a rotor. I know, even stunned through shock. How that on earth sounds... is that happening? Yeah, yeah, 
I'm not really sure how either because I didn't really kind of get answers to my mm. questions because she was so confused when I was asking her. Unless the school is so the, strict, they've, the English barrier. they've told the staff to, yes, it's a very good place to work. You must tell yeah, everybody yeah. this is how we do it. Yeah, but um, I just... Mind-boggling, mind-boggling. Mm. So you did three years. Why did you decide to leave? I think ultimately the life-work balance thing, it, yeah. it just became too much of a burden for me to try and yeah. fit anything I wanted to do in. Yeah, you I just become so tired, don't you? I think that's it. And it, you eventually become exhausted and a, an exhausted teacher is an ineffective teacher. Mm. And I didn't want to be the one responsible for providing not a poor education, but mm. one I knew I could yeah. provide a very good education. And I didn't want to do them a disservice by going in giving half effort, but that's all I could give. Yeah, you want to do a good job, don't yeah. you? Everyone wants to do a good job. But sometimes you just can't. You've just not got any energy left. But I think that's when people start sort of kicking themselves and you sort of get this voice in your head saying, why aren't you giving 110%? Mm. And you know you're exhausted mentally, but you, you, you can't give anymore. Mm. But you've still got people saying, can you take this? Can you take this? Often you can't see it yourself that you are burning out, that you are yeah. tired and that you're not being you. Mm. It takes someone else, someone you know, maybe a friend or a family member to say, are you okay? You know, have you got... To notice. Yeah, because yeah. you sort of settle into that routine of working all the time and it becomes normal to you. Mm. Whereas someone else, they're thinking, well, that's a bit odd. He's not turned up to this for yeah, yeah. work. He's not done this because of work. Yeah, it's kind of like, oh. Well, why are you working again? Like, yeah. like you should have done something to make that not happen, like that was possible. And you almost feel like, because I haven't managed to do anything to do my own, for my own benefit of work-life balance, and I haven't come up with a strategy to, to find that time, you feel like, well, I'm a bit of a failure for not being able yeah. to do that. Yeah, and I think you look at yourself as well and you think, well, other people are doing it. You know, I've actually had um, family members say to me, well, so-and-so can do it. Um, and diff different setting, different year groups, different, um, like whole different, um, I don't know the word, secondary, not primary, that kind of thing. There's so many um, variables that can determine your work-life balance. Yeah. And it's not just being a teacher or in this school and that school. Yeah, it's your or personal how good life, you are or, yeah. Your knowledge of the subject. So many, like, your, the people you work with, yeah. uh, what they demand, your policies there's there's so many variables and you, it's very yeah. tricky and difficult to compare one teacher with another one to another yeah especially if you're in a school that you know is in a bit of trouble then you've got to document everything and the head teacher's not not going to be saying oh it's all right you don't have to mark every day you know they're not going to be saying that kind of thing are they um so out of other teachers um in your cohort is there anyone who's still in in teaching you know how they're getting on the ones I'm still in touch with, um, they are still teaching, but they're not teaching at their original school they trained at. Mm -hmm. So because you you get picked up and placed in a school away from home, yeah. they probably move back to a school closer to their familial and friends. Right, so you have to live away from home as well. Yeah, so that's another thing I probably haven't mentioned is that oh, wow. I actually did my training out in Skegness. Ah. Really enjoyed it when I was there, but you know, you, Mm -hmm. Before the move, you're thinking, well, it's, it's a long way from home and a yeah. long way from friends yeah. and family. I've instantly got no support network around me. Yeah. The only people you can bond with are those going through the same process 
as trainees as you, yeah. which you, which I lived with, right? Very supportive, um, so but also your school mentor. In a way, I can see why they do that because I did my PGC away, and that was a good thing because I didn't. Everyone was doing the same thing, so no one had time to socialise with each other anyway, and we all just sat in our rooms every night and worked. <laughs> so, as they do that for a reason to make you successful. Yeah. Ah, now I'm seeing it. But okay. I did actually. Um, I know of a person who um, was struggling quite significantly in their first year mm. with uh, work-life balance and just the volume of work. Um, whether or not they had the right expectation of, of what of what mm-hmm. to experience in the role of a teacher, I, I don't know. But what I can say is, teach first. Um, the LDO was very good at creating that dialogue with that person, mm. putting a support plan in place, and extending and their time in school and sort of helping them come up with strategies and adapting and changing their role to help it work for them. Mm. So in that sense, Teach First are very supportive and as I say, they're they're that safety net, that person that'll catch you when you fall, whereas no one else might do in Mm. school. Everyone's too busy, Mm. Um, but that's that person there for you and and they do back you all the way. So what would you say now to... It could be anybody really, but I suppose specifically if somebody's on Teach First, maybe they're in their unqualified year or they're in their NQT year who is struggling with a life-work balance, what would you say to them? I think the first thing I would say is have the confidence to tell somebody mm. um, that you're struggling with work-life balance, um, whether that's a friend first, someone you trust, mm. um, or a family member, but then... Ultimately, you have to maybe tell your LDO if you're on Teach First, mm. about your PDL. But someone in school has to know for something yeah. to be done about it. Yeah. Um, if they're not to know, they're just going to think, oh, they're getting on fine. Mm. They've got a bit of work to do, but they're managing. They're not voiced to concern. Mm. And I think making that statement of I just <laughs> flying the white flag yeah. once just shows that I've said yes to too much or I've got too much on. I yeah. just need to delegate this or give me an extension on this or show me how to do this in a way that I might not have thought about but it's going to help me Mm. in terms of my time I think it's important that you said that and if I when I was in teaching I would have never kind of said this but obviously now leading the company I feel like I've I can see it from a, a leadership point of view I think it's important as well yes say something but don't expect that will just be taken off your plate you might actually be shown a different way to do something or accept the help of um it might be do this in a different way and not or we'll just take it off you don't have to worry about it anymore because the end goal is that that is still part of the role yeah and so you're going to have to find a way to be able to do everything yeah and i I think also coming from sort of a university background and you've achieved well Mm. you don't want to admit that you can't do something yeah that's true so from my point of view is it, it was quite hard to say can you just help me with this yeah, uh, yeah. show me a, a way that you know that i don't to yeah. help me yeah because just making that admittance of honesty yeah it was quite a big step and mm. i assume can be quite a big step for some people as well um, but things can be so much faster when you know how when you're not having to learn so, it in the first place so and i think by the end you are grateful that you've made that honesty mm. and you've made that statement and then they can help you and show you rather than struggle on. I think that is a really good tip because that's not something that we do. I don't remember 
being in um, school and, and asking for help, like, you know, how do you do this? I'd figure it out. It took yeah. me hours sometimes. Why didn't I ask? That was stupid. <laughs> but we live and learn, don't we? Yes. Um, just learning think, slightly too late. Yeah, I think that's the whole process <laughs> is that you're always learning as a teacher. And yeah. I think once you accept that, that you don't know everything, you you never will know everything or be no. very, the best at everything in teaching. Mm. I think you come to accept that this is how I do things. It works for me. Yeah. I'm getting the results. I'm going to carry on this way. And then I'm going to develop and grow through CPD as and when needed. I think it's just developing that culture as well, isn't it? Like it's okay to say from both points of view, it's, it's okay to say, actually, can you just show me a quicker way? But then also the other teachers in school or whoever's, you know, in a position of authority needs to be willing to hear that and act yeah. as well. Because I think it works on both sides, really. That, that, <coughs> sorry, there's that investment of time again as well mm. in that you need to take the time to think about what you're struggling with, take the time to ask somebody mm. or tell somebody and then have the time to, to, for somebody to show you how to do something. Yeah. Don't just drop the job, the task altogether. Yeah. Invest time in trying to figure out how to do it and that investment in time will hopefully pay dividends and make in the it better run. in the end. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Right. I've got four closing questions then. So, if you could wave a magic wand, how would you solve the life-work balance problem? It, that's a very, very good question. <laughs> could I wave my magic wand and give every teacher a magic wand to say, <laughs> you know, now we've all got wands and... I don't I knew, know where I'm going with this. I knew you'd have a creative idea. <laughs> now we've all got wands and we can just educate children with our wands and, and through magic. Because I think that is at the moment our only solution is through magic. <laughs> That's true. It would be really good actually if you could have a magic wand to like mark the books. We didn't even have to think about what yeah. it was. The magic wand would read all the work, would know all the errors for development, know what was good and just wrote a paragraph for you. That would be amazing, especially if you could read it out to the child as they open the book and only they could hear it inside their head. And the teacher can just sit there on the desk drinking a coffee for the first yeah. time in, in months. <laughs> oh, my word. I feel like we could go on, but we best not. Uh, yeah, I think that's I know probably... it's not strictly an answer probably was looking for, but I think we're... it's one of the best so answers I've had. so much change that's needed and that's the only way I can conceptualise the amount of change that's needed is through a magic wand. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. I think the, the, that was probably the best answer ever. Oh, but the one before that was the uh, time turner, Harry Potter's, Harry Potter's time turner. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Hermione's actually, isn't it? But anyway. Rather than the uh, cloak of invisibility to just hide in a cupboard. Yeah, that is a good idea. Well, if you're listening and you're going to be a guest, there's your answer. <laughs> okay, right. Question, next question. Um... Where do you think education is going in the next 10 years? Another good question. You've saved the hard ones until the end. I have. Um, I think technology is, is just a huge area at the moment. And whether it's AR, VR, whichever way you want to call it, or look at it. Mm. Technology is playing a big role at the moment in educating kids and sort of educating in a way that's not been thought about before. Mm. So I think a lot of businesses are now investing and schools are investing in technology packages um, to try and get the best out of the curriculum they have, the best out of the work schemes they have, to try and make 
learning and education, not just about the data, but also about engagement, mm. especially with Ofsted's new deep dive procedure in that there's going to be such a bigger focus on all the other subjects apart from your mm. core, maths, uh, English and, and, and reading. All those other subjects have to be the same or better standard mm. than those. And I think enriching the whole curriculum through technology is one way of doing it. And mm. it's it's finding the right provider, the right method of technology to do that. Mm. Whether it's out there now, five years, 10 years, I don't know. But I think that's the way it's going and whether or not kids will then be taught through technology more, less dependent on a teacher, I don't know, but I think... I also think it'll be a, a range factor. of... Um a range of providers and you know to get a balance perhaps maybe they you know there's a way of getting the child into the prehistoric era and they can walk around i mean it's well, we're looking you just at... love that for yourself though <laughs> i would love just that. to transport myself away from the classroom yes yes but that would be amazing though yeah really amazing one thing it's i think making it cost effective so schools can buy in um, so but Google already do something where you can, where they come in for free, don't they? And they take you to some, do they take you to the Coliseum or something? Oh, I'm not sure. That's... Yeah, I'm sure they do some kind of thing like that, and you get them into your school, and they do, they do it for the day or something. But I like think that. that'll become more commonplace yeah. and a more staple part of every curriculum yeah. and every work scheme because schools will have their own hmm. uh, access to technology of, of, of that standard. Yeah. It does, it does make a difference if you feel like you've been there. I remember um, when I was a child, my mum and dad, when we went on holiday, they always, we always went to a castle or something. And you don't really think that means anything to you. But as a teacher, when I, I'd look back, I had something to write about. I had experiences to write about, and especially when you're doing it from a historical point of view. You might not realise the details that you're putting in because of what you experienced, but you are. Mm. Um and so I think that'll be really beneficial, especially for children who don't go on trips with the parents and things because they will have that experience yeah. in a way. Yeah. And especially for those schools that teach first who over half their kids are in mm. the poorest 30% of families, they're not going to get those opportunities no, with, no. with those families. Or they're going to be few and far between. Yeah. And it's it, more difficult for them, isn't it? It certainly opens up the opportunity for them mm -hmm. and it, it broadens their horizons in so many different areas. Yeah to enhance their learning. Okay, um, so who was your favorite teacher and why? I really enjoyed, um, not necessarily being taught by, am I allowed to say names? Yeah. Because these people are still out there and they, and they watch. And they will be really happy because I haven't said who's your worst teacher. Okay, right, <laughs> fair enough. So yeah, I think, when I was at secondary school, we had, an, and I was in year seven, just... I hope very, you're going to share it with them now. <laughs> <laughs> very small and, you know, very naive and, uh, as a year seven. And our head teacher was Mr. Bourbon, and he was a, a former rugby player. And he had big, broad shoulders, very stocky, and he spoke with a very deep and bellowing voice. And he had a real presence in the room. So he was the head teacher. And if you were being taught English and he walked in... You know, Stanley over there is sat like this and Sarah's half asleep. As soon as he walked in, it was yeah, yeah. everybody, statues facing the front. And it's, I was an anointed kid at school, but I just enjoyed seeing 
the, the way in which people around me responded to different authorities and different yeah. figures. Some teachers would try and make friends and be a bit mm. more jokey with them, try and get their respect and bond with them on that level. But yeah. I just really, really liked seeing when Mr. Berman walked into a room yeah. and everybody commanded his attention. It's really funny you should say that because I would say, I don't know if I'd say he was my favourite teacher, but one of the most memorable teachers was yeah. the science teacher for me. Nobody messed around in his lesson and I didn't like science and I was scared of him, but I knew where I stood because I was good and I could get, I knew what was going to happen. I knew that if, if there was, uh, there'd be no messing around yeah. in this class basically. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same. I liked the fact that he could command the room and it was, it just felt right. <laughs> I, I knew the boundaries and I knew what the consequences were going to be. I mean, whether or not I'd learned anything is up, is <laughs> yeah. up in the air. I'm not going to say whether I did or I didn't. <laughs> yeah. But as, as far as the most memorable teacher, yeah, it would have to be him. Yeah, okay. And um, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, a, a footballer. What does what do most of the young men <laughs> want to be? What does every young boy want yeah. to be? They, they aspire to be David Beckham, don't they? The, I even had the haircuts. I had the Mohican. I, <laughs> I had the curtains going on. I had the bowl haircut. And it was, my hair was, used to be so bright blonde. I know we're going off tangent now. <laughs> Go on. It used to be so bright blonde. It was very much like David Beckham's at the time. But I went to a, a petting zoo with my family and I was just stood next to a fence. And the goat started gnawing on my hair. I've had that because as Because it well. thought it was straw. So, oh, hey, so I could eat it. <laughs> but yeah, that's I, I emulated David Beckham and I wanted to be a, a footballer. So, um, At what point did you realise that wasn't going to happen? The first time I kicked a football. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's um, been a lot more amusing than I thought it would be. <laughs> so thank you. No, thanks for having me on. It's, it's been uh, very useful and insightful. Thank you. Good, thank you. so much for listening. I felt like I got an education, did you? I'm also pleased that I went down the PGC route, but then again, I guess with the Teach First route you were forced to develop time-saving strategies and fast. When I look back, I can see that there may have been some wasted time when I was doing all my schoolwork, and I would have benefited from learning to have more discipline even way back when. Maybe you have a life-work balance story that you'd like to share to help other teachers. Get in touch. If it's the first time that you're listening to the Teachers Podcast, check out our other episodes for some more amazing listens. We've been securing more fantastic guests for you, and if you want to request that someone is on the podcast, then just let us know in the Facebook group called the Teachers Podcast Community. I just wanted to remind you that this episode was produced specially to raise awareness of my Life Work Balance campaign, so please help me get 20,000 responses by filling in the survey at classroomsecrets.co.uk forward slash LWB. This episode is live on YouTube, so don't forget to subscribe to our channel. And if you love this episode, then please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teachers Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.